Hi all, welcome to Account Planning in the Age of COVID-19. This is Chapter 8, Episode 2, and we're talking about survey methodology. So why are so many surveys used? Um, Why is it probably the most, one of the most, if not the most common research methodology when trying to get information for potential consumers of your brand. There's a number of reasons why, but I think they can be boiled down to two main reasons. The first is that it's efficient in both time and money. Um, Because you're only having to look at a small segment of your whole population, you can see how it's going to cost less and not take as much time than if you had to look at everyone. That's just logical, right? So um, you can save both time and money. Really important in the world of advertising. Second and equally important is that it allows you to make interesting comparisons through statistical analyses. So instead of you know just wondering about something and making projections, which can be helpful at certain times, you can ask questions in such a way that you can um, actually run some stats and see if there are differences between groups of people and all sorts of things. So um, if you're doing surveys with a relatively large number of people, you have the ability to do lots of analyses that you can't if you just look at a handful of people. But even with these two great reasons why it's not a perfect methodology. There's lots of shortcomings. So in order to um, get around these shortcomings, the weaknesses of the survey, you have to make sure that you know what it is that you want the survey to accomplish. So first of all, just do what you need to do to get what you need out of the survey, the information. Don't ask random questions that you think you might use down the road. Stick to what it is that you have to do. And in order to do that, you need to know what your overall objective is, right? What specifically are you trying to find out? The um, example that I gave in the last podcast talking about Um, If university were going to do surveys on how students are responding to COVID-19, for example, you wouldn't in that survey say, oh, and by the way, um, when you go and buy vegetables, what's your favorite vegetables to buy? It just doesn't make any sense. So um, even if it's a fun question, if it doesn't relate to what it is that you are trying to ask, don't take time to do it. And really important don't ask questions that can be answered with secondary research. This is why it's so important to do second, one reason why it's so important to do secondary research before um, primary research. If you can find out the answer really quickly um, by looking at data that are already there, don't waste your client's time or money asking questions that you can quickly find the answer to. So, um, if you, if there's a report out there that says um, um, people who use meal delivery services like the convenience, don't ask if they like the convenience. You already know 
that they like the convenience. So you have to make sure you're asking questions that you really need to find the answer to. This sounds really basic, but it's amazing how many surveys that I've seen, not just done by students, but by other people that I'm saying, you know, you don't even need to ask these questions. I can just go online and find this answer in a heartbeat. You are trying to find information that can only be found from your survey that you're doing with the people who you are interested in getting their information from. You also need to make sure that you have clear instructions throughout the survey. You want to explain to the potential respondents what the survey is for. You want to tell the respondents how long the survey will take. You have to practice it to know how long it will take. Um, you want to be accurate with that data. And you need to tell them up front how you're planning to use the data that you're asking for. And last, explain why it is so important for the respondent to fill out the survey. Now, all this can work to your advantage as a student if you're doing a survey as a student, and you might choose survey methodology when you do your um, concept testing project for this class, is, you know, when you say, you know, I'm a student doing this for a class, really appreciate your help, people will feel empathy for you and want to respond to the survey. So take advantage of that kind of thing. Explain why it's so important and people will be more inclined to respond. Um, for asking demographic data, these are those external traits like age, gender, income, family status, ethnicity, and so on. Ask those questions if you need to know the answer, but don't ask them just because you think it'll be fun to put them in. For example, if you are not doing any analyses with age, if it makes no difference to you how old the people are who are responding to the survey, then don't ask them what their age is. Um, you only want to ask them their age if you are planning to see how, different, how people in different age groups respond. So only ask the demographic data that you are interested in asking. And one reason You'll see why this is important. Um, the next point is put your sensitive questions at the end. So these are all questions that would make people feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, like if you're asking about meal delivery services and you're interested in talking to obese people, you don't want to ask them how much they weigh on the front end um, or if they feel obese. But if you have a reason, if you've taken them through the survey and they're feeling empathy and they're enjoying the survey, they're going to be more inclined to tell you about, you know, whether or not they're overweight or feel that they're overweight at the end of the survey. Demographic data is closely aligned to this. For some reason, a lot of people feel um, uncomfortable giving demographic information, saying what their gender is or their age or um, whatever. And so I recommend that you always put demographic data at the end for the whole reason about why you put sensitive data at the end of the survey. If a, if a respondent is involved in the survey, the longer they're with it, the closer they are to completion, the higher the chance that they will indeed complete the survey. Now there are a few exceptions to this. The main being is if um, you're using a screener question 
and using demographic data for the screener question. Usually, if you're using screener questions, um, it is related to demographic data. Not always, but um, pretty commonly so. So what is a screener question? Um, that's a question that is asked at the very beginning of the survey, and it's to find out if a person is qualified to take the survey. And if they are not qualified, they are opted out of the survey, and then you don't count them in your um, how many people you surveyed. So for example, if you are wanting to find out what people between the ages of 18 and 24 think about meal delivery services. So you're only going to survey people between 18 and 24 because that is all you care about. You would have a screener question at the beginning of your survey asking people who are opening your survey how old they are and you give them a choice. And if they pick something other than 18 to 24, the next thing they see is thank you um, for taking the survey. survey, have a good day and they're out of the survey, and then you do not um, count them in the number of people who responded. So you do this, again, to save time and money. You are only interested in getting information from people who you are interested in getting information from. So that's why you used you use screener questions. So they're often demographically related, but sometimes they're behavior-based. Um, So for example, if you only want to survey people who have never used a meal delivery service, that would be your screener question. Your very first question, have you ever used a meal delivery service? No, they continue on with the survey. Yes, thank you, have a good day, they're kicked out of the survey. So these screener questions are really important. You don't want to have a lot of screener questions they're annoying for one reason, and you're trying to get people to respond to the survey, but you have to keep in mind that you only want people who, um, who should be in the survey in the survey. So as you can see now, you're probably figuring out that it is challenging to write a good survey. There's a whole lot of things you have to worry about. You think you have it and you don't quite. You have to make sure that your questions work, for example. And this is the structure of, I'm assuming you're doing, would be doing an online survey. That's the most common now. Um, using Qualtrics, which I'll talk about in the next episode, um, has ways that you can ask questions. And if you click on the wrong framework, like for example, maybe your question is, Um, check all of the answers or all of the responses that relate to why you use a meal delivery service. And the form of question you selected only allows you to have one choice. Your question is all messed up. So you have to make sure that the questions work. And the best way to do that is after it's all done, take the survey, make sure it runs the way you want it to run. You also have to make sure that you are asking the right questions. Talked about before, no more questions. Um, Just the questions that you wanna ask. And so as you work through your survey, um, say, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this? Third, you wanna make sure that your survey is friendly. It has to look friendly and it has to sound friendly. So, you know, the graphics of it need to be upbeat and the way it's written needs to be kind. So you want to write directly to the respondent. You 
So you'd want to say, when you think about meal delivery services, what are the first things that you think about? As opposed to saying, when someone thinks about meal delivery services, what do they think? Right? Be personal, writing right to the respondent. Keep the survey as short as possible. Again, as short as it needs to be, as short, uh, as long as it will be to get the answers that you need to be, but no longer. The shorter, the better. The exceptions to this is if you have um, a pretty good incentive for them to take the survey. Um, If you're paying a good bit of money, for example, say if you're paying $25 per survey, you then have earned the right to get them to fill out as many questions as you want them to. Um, But certainly without an incentive or a very little incentive, a shorter survey, you will get a better response rate. And then last, but certainly not least, is know how you're going to analyze the data. Um, You need to make sure that the way you've asked the questions will allow you to analyze the questions the way you want to and that you've worked all that out. And this is amazingly hard. It sounds easy, but it is hard. I've been developing surveys for well over a quarter of a century. I mean, I've done a ton of surveys. I know how to do this. And without failure, and I mean literally without failure, I don't think I have ever done a survey where I don't you know, come across at least one question I've asked that when it gets time to analyze it, I'm like, no, that doesn't work at all. Why did I ask the question this way? I should have done it this way. Happens every single time, no matter how careful I am with it. Um, So you're not going to be perfect, but keep working at it. That is for sure. All right, that's the end of this episode. Um, I've got a bit more to talk about how to make your surveys good, things you have to worry about, and then talking about different software for surveys. So we'll pick that up in episode three. So this is the end of episode two. Hope you all have a good day. Um, Hope you're staying safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, um, keep smiling, and, you know, we'll get through this somehow, I suppose. So talk to y'all later. Bye.